Hey everyone, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, my name is Jason, I'm one of the pastors here on staff and man, I hope, I really hope you were able to celebrate Thanksgiving somehow, some way in our crazy COVID situation that we're in. Uh, I can tell you that my family's gathering looked very different this year, uh, but hopefully what didn't change is at the core of the holiday. The, the gratitude and the thankfulness for what God has blessed us with. And then Lord willing, man, hopefully we will never have a Thanksgiving like this ever again. Uh, if you have continued to faithfully give during this time, I just wanna say thank you and just know you are making an eternal difference. And you are showing God that you are willing to uh, trust him with your entire future, including your financial future. So very well done. And so if you would like to give today or set up recurring giving, all you have to do is text Hosanna Church to 77977. Otherwise, today, today we are starting a new series as we enter into the Advent season and it's gonna take us all the way to Christmas. And I just wonder how many of us are really looking forward to Christmas this year, maybe more than any time in recent memory. And the way I wanna start our time together is with a hunting story. Uh, in light of Minnesota's most popular deer hunting season just coming to an end, and even though I failed to help control the deer population in northern Minnesota, a hunting story still just feels right to me. Uh, I was 18, and I had the opportunity to join my dad on a hunt of a lifetime. We went to hunt elk in Montana. I'd never been to Montana before. I'd never hunted anything there. So I was super excited, yet I really didn't know what to expect. And I discovered two things really quickly. People who work in hunting camps are tough and there's a lot less oxygen in the mountains. Let me explain. Um, first morning, all the hunters had to be up at 4 a.m. We all kind of stumbled our way down to the kitchen because we had to have breakfast that early. And where I was sitting, there was a series of small shelves next to me. And sitting on, on one of the shelves was a tin of Copenhagen chewing tobacco. And at one point, a hand reached around, grabbed the tin, it disappeared for a few seconds, and then the hand came back and was trying to put the tin on the shelf, but they kept missing. And eventually, the person peeked around the corner to be able to see where to put the tin, and it was one of the women who was working in the kitchen. And she smiled at me with a big wad of chew in her lip. Tough, very scary tough. Uh, after that, each of us as hunters were given a horse, we climbed on, loaded our gear, and off we went, and we rode our horses in the complete darkness for more than an hour. We got to the place where we left the horses, we tied them up, then we got off, and then we started hiking up the mountain, and it was only a few steps in when I noticed that I was breathing really hard. Now, I'll spare you some of the details, but at one point, the guide looks over a ledge, and he looks at me, and he says, get up here. And I climb up, I lay down, and across this ravine are two elk 320 yards away. And after squeezing off a few shots, the guide looks at me and says, you got it, let's go, because the elk was starting to walk away. That meant we had to run down the ravine and then back up again. So running down following the guide wasn't too hard. It's when I hit the bottom and I started running up that I, I got to the point where I just was gonna pass out. The darkness and the stars started climbing in on me until eventually I just had to drop down to my knees. And the guide turns around and he says, are you okay? And I'm just like, yeah, go ahead, go, go. And thankfully, the elk didn't go too much farther. Had my very first one ever, it was incredible. 
After that, the guide sends my dad and his buddy around the corner or around the mountain, I should say, and then me and the guide, we're gonna go up and over to try to push some elk his direction. So as we're climbing higher and higher, eventually we get to the snow line. And so as we're walking through the snow, we come across another set of elk tracks. And so we start following it until we come into a clearing and there 40 yards away staring at us was an elk. It wouldn't move. And so the guide said, take it. So I took it. Two elk the same day, you can't draw it up any better than that. The guide looks at me and says, okay, I'm gonna go get your dad. I gotta get his tag, put it on this elk. Uh, you head back to the horses and we'll meet you there. And without even thinking, I just said, oh, okay. And so I, I'm following my, our tracks out of the snow and just kind of replaying how great this day has been so far. And I come to the end of the snow and I look around and nothing looks familiar. Everything looks the same. I keep walking for a little while and then the panic sets in. I have no idea where I am or where I am going. And so I just decide I'm going to stop. And I sit down, I lean back against a boulder, I take out my bologna sandwich, and I realize I am in desperate need of some hope. And then I prayed the most focused, intense prayer 18-year-old myself had ever prayed. Lord, I need you to come and lead me out of here. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever found yourself in desperate need of some hope? Uh, maybe you feel like that right now. Maybe, maybe you're a parent who's trying to navigate this on-again, off-again school situation, and you're watching your child struggle to adapt, struggle to learn, struggle to cope with this current reality. Maybe you have a friend or a loved one who's sick right now, whether that's COVID or cancer or something else. And if it's, as if that's not bad enough, you can't even see them right now. Or maybe you're like my daughter and her fiance. Their wedding is less than a week away. And I've watched them as they have had to make heartbreaking choice after heartbreaking choice. And they realize this is not gonna be the wedding that they had hoped for. In fact, I think we could just create a fill in the blank. You know, my freshman year, my senior year, my anniversary, my birthday, the start of my career isn't what I hoped it would be. Do you find yourself longing for hope? Well, the good news is that's what we're going to talk about today because hope is part of the Advent story. And um, maybe you're familiar with Advent. Maybe you grew up and your family uh, celebrated Advent all the time, so you're very familiar. But there are a lot of us who maybe you didn't grow up going to church, or maybe you uh, grew up in a church that really didn't even acknowledge what Advent was. And so I just want to get all of us on the same page. Advent is uh, derived from the Latin word Adventus. It means coming. It celebrates the fact that Jesus came from heaven on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. And it looks forward to Jesus coming again because there's a day coming when he's gonna bring his people home to the new heaven and the new earth. And now the practice of Advent, how people have celebrated, it's looked different over the centuries, but it was in the 1800s when a Lutheran minister who was serving at a mission for kids he wanted to try to expand the season beyond just Christmas. And so he created what is now known as an Advent wreath and he put four candles around it, each candle representing something different. Hope, faith, joy, and peace. 
Four things I think we could use a little bit more of these days. And so as we thought about this Advent series, we just know that we are at home together more than we ever have before. And so we have an opportunity to leverage this time to take advantage of it. And we know that for some of us, talking about candles and light, we could use a little more light at the end of our tunnel. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at different pieces of the Christmas story. We're going to see how it applies to our lives. And then we're going to invite you as individuals or families to enter into the Advent experience to celebrate with millions of other Christians around the world who are doing the exact same thing. Now, the part of the Christmas story we're going to look at today uh, involves a man named Zechariah. And it's his story that will help uh, answer the question, how do we build some hope when things feel hopeless? So if you've got your Bible, you've got your Bible app, go ahead and open that up to Luke chapter 1. And as you're doing that, let me give you a little context, a little uh, background, because it's going to bring to life what we're going to be reading. Uh, when we open up the book of Luke, it has been 400 years since the last prophet Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, and he was the very last prophet. Now, if you're not familiar with what a prophet is, that is a person appointed by God to bring light to the darkness. Like prophets are in the hope bringing business. And God had to send prophet after prophet because his people, the Israelites, just had this terrible habit of drifting from worshiping the one true God and living the way that he wanted them to live to starting to worship false gods, and then they just looked like all the other nations around them. And God sent so many prophets and so many warnings around this that eventually God said, okay, that's enough. And he allowed his people to be taken captive uh, by the Babylonians. At the time of the last prophet Malachi, the Israelites have been released from captivity. They've gone back to Judah. They've rebuilt the temple, and they're learning how to worship properly again. Fast forward 400 years from then is where we find uh, Luke and his writing. And the thing is, if you were a Jew during that time, you're still reading the prophecies about the coming Messiah, but yet you're not feeling very hopeful because it's almost as if heaven has gone silent. There hasn't been a prophet in 400 years. There are no signs that would really indicate that the Messiah is coming anytime soon. So corporately, as a Jewish people, they weren't feeling very hopeful. And then there's Zechariah. Zechariah had more reason to feel hopeless personally. See, he was a priest and he was married to Elizabeth. The problem was they were never able to have kids. And while that's a little more normal in our culture today, it was a source of shame back then. People had kids because they needed someone to care for them and provide for them when they were older. Kids were seen as a blessing from God and not, uh, not having kids, not being able to have kids, was seen as a curse. And because Zechariah was a priest, it just added to his humiliation and his hopelessness. That's what makes him the perfect person to learn from on how to build some hope when things feel hopeless. So with that as a backdrop, now we can start reading. Uh, this is Luke chapter one, and we're gonna start in verse eight. Luke says this. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd of people outside stood praying. Now, let me give you a little context here. Every day, the chosen priest would go into the temple twice to burn incense. Uh, 
And the reason a great crowd was outside praying is as he burned the incense and that smoke drifted up in the sky, it, represents, it represented their prayers being lifted to God. And who doesn't want their prayer heard by God? Okay, keep reading. Verse 11. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. So Zechariah has just encountered his very first angel. It terrified him, naturally. And he has also just learned that his regular, consistent, ongoing prayers are about to be answered with a yes. Now, quick sidebar here. All of our prayers are heard. All of our prayers are answered. And they are answered with a yes, no, or not yet. And for most of his married life, Zechariah has been praying to become a father. And the answer has been not yet. And as, as painful and as confusing as that was for he and Elizabeth, they just kept on praying. And now, eventually, the answer has become yes. And his son just isn't going to be a run-of-the-mill child. I mean, if the angel would have stopped and just said, hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a son he still would have sprinted home, burst through the door and said, hey, Elizabeth, guess what happened at work today? But he's about to learn that his son has been chosen by God for something great. Verse 15, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, when Zechariah heard that, that, that must have been a moment for him. Like a take your breath away kind of moment. Because if you were around for the series we did on Elijah not long ago, you would have learned that Elijah was the most respected and revered prophet for all of the Israelites. I mean, this was a big deal. This would be as if an angel appeared to you and said, your daughter will have the athletic ability of Lindsay Vaughn. Your son will have the financial wisdom of Warren Buffett. Your child will have the singing voice of Ryan Alexander. To which you would say, no, thank you. I'll pass on that one. That's, I'm kidding. But you get my point. This is a really, really big deal for Zechariah. Keep reading. See what the angel says next. The angel goes on. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. It is, it is hard to fully understand the gravity of what the angel is saying here. On one hand, Zechariah just learned that he is going to have a son and he's not gonna be just an ordinary son. He has been chosen by God to be a prophet in the line of Elijah the first prophet in 400 years. He is gonna turn the Israelites back to the Lord their God because that's what a prophet does. And he just learned that the promised Messiah is coming and that his son, John, who will be John the Baptist, is gonna prepare the way for the Adventists of the Lord, for the coming of the Lord. This is the most incredible, momentous news that he has ever heard. 
And how does Zechariah respond? Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. Instead of dropping to his knees and praising God and just in sheer gratitude, he questions the angel. And before we are too hard on him, would we be any different? I think often we do the very same thing. And that's actually the first lesson that we can learn from Zechariah when it comes to having the ability to build some hope is that we need to pray even if we question God. We need to pray even if it means we are questioning God. We, we've already established that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are praying people, regular praying people. But in this case, it's okay to pray and still question God. Now, for some of you, you're, you're kind of thinking ahead on this because you know the rest of Zechariah's story and you're going, ah, I'm not sure that's okay. Because what happens after this is uh, the angel doesn't like Zechariah's response. The angel rebukes him and then causes him not to be able to speak until his son John is born. And if that was the way that God responded to everybody who questioned him, I would not recommend that we do it. But that is not the case. Because just a few verses later, the very same angel appears to Mary, tells her that she is going to give birth to the Messiah and she will name him Jesus. And her answer, her response is nearly identical. When she says, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel's reaction is very different. It's kind and compassionate, emphasizing nothing is impossible with God. So yes, we need to pray, even if it means we question God. It's all right. I mean, after all, take a look at King David, a man after God's own heart. Some of the Psalms that he wrote are some of the most painful, raw, honest prayers we'll ever read. There are times he's crying out, Lord, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Why are you not listening to me? But every time he ends with, yet you are my God. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's just a whole book of, of, of doubt and fear and crying out. So yes, we can pray and still question God at the same time. And we need to. Because here's how it's going to build our hope. Number one, it reminds us that we have a heavenly father who wants to bring all of our concerns to him. Not just the good, but the, the frustrated, the angry, the sad prayers as well. He can deal with that. And it builds our hope because we are acknowledging that he is the only one worthy of our prayers. It builds our hope because we are acknowledging when we pray, in essence, what we are saying, you are still my God. So yes, it's okay to question God and still be faithful. So we need to continue to pray. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know why God's answer to your prayers may be no or not yet. But what I can tell you is keep praying because like Zechariah, you never know when that answer is gonna become a yes. There's one more thing that we can learn from Zechariah, how to build our hope. Um, and it comes after uh, his son is born and he's able to speak again. And in, in essence, what it is, is we have to remind ourselves that God's ways and timing are perfect. God's ways and timing are perfect. And here's why I say that. Take a look at what Zechariah says after his son is born. He says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited 
and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. And then he speaks to his son. And he says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of sins. Zechariah went from questioning the angel to making one of the most hope-filled statements he possibly could. I mean, after all, the prayer that he's been making for all of his married life just came true. The, the, The hope and prayer of the Israelite nation that they had been looking forward to, the promised Messiah was about to step onto the scene. And the first and last prophet that would be necessary is about to enter into the picture in John the Baptist. He is going to Adventist, prepare the way for the coming Lord. The truth is hope had just arrived. And notice what he doesn't pray. It's not like Zechariah, after he's able to speak again, he doesn't say, okay, God, what took so long? Or, Thanks, Lord, it's about stinking time. He didn't say that because he understood that God's ways and timing are perfect. And in the same way, we have to build that down deep into ourselves. We got to plant it. We got to nurture it and grow it with the help of the Holy Spirit. Prayerfully grow that in ourselves. And that, just for a little clarity, we can't do this for ourselves. Uh, we can't do this for others, I should say. We, we can only do this for ourselves. And I'll explain why. The way it builds hope in us is we know that there are some things in life we're just not gonna have answers to. There, there's just some things in this life we are not going to understand. And when we, under, when we just make that statement that God's ways and timing are perfect, what it acknowledges that there is a day coming when we will. That is the promise that we have from God. Jesus stepped out of heaven on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. And when we put our trust in him as our savior, we live with the promise that one day we are gonna see him face to face and we will have the answers. We will fully understand and it will all make sense. It's why we need to plant this down deep in our heart because that kind of hope can only come through Jesus. And I'm emphasizing we can only do this for ourselves. And here's what I mean by that. Now, in this kind of corporate setting, uh, I can teach you this truth and you are more open to receive it because I don't know what's going on personally in your life. It's when we try to plant this individually that we can come across as insensitive or tone deaf. And if you've been on the other side of this, you know exactly what I mean. When the pregnancy test comes back negative again, when another dating relationship has ended in failure, when a child has gone completely off of the rails, when you're standing in line at a wake for a loved one, the last thing you want to hear is God's ways and timing are perfect. Just because it's true doesn't mean it's consoling. And when our pain is the deepest, truth does not always equal empathy. And if someone has said something like that to you in the past, just as one of your pastors, I want to say, I'm sorry. People, they mean well, and they don't know what to say. And so sometimes they say things and they don't even know how deeply wounding it can be. And so this is something we have to plant and grow in ourselves that God's ways and timing are perfect. Because if you're not currently in the middle of a storm, 
A day is coming when you're gonna find yourself in desperate need of hope. So I'm, I'm sitting with my back against a boulder. I finished my bologna sandwich and I just got done praying, Lord, I need you to come and lead me out of here. And that's when I had a thought. Could have been God, it could have been bad bologna, but either way I had a thought and that was go to a high point and just take a look around, see what you can see. And so I got up and I walked basically to this cliff-like area and I could see for miles, but I couldn't see any horses. But what I could see was a small stream off in the distance. And I remembered crossing the stream on the horses on the way in. And because that was my, my best and only hope at this point, I just started walking down the mountain heading for the stream. And it took me more than an hour to get there. And when I, and when I got there, I couldn't see where we crossed. And now I had another choice. Do I go this way or this way? And I chose this way. And I started walking and a good half hour later, by the grace of God, I found the crossing. I followed the tracks and there were the horses and I essentially collapsed. I was so tired and I was so emotionally exhausted, yet I was so relieved and so grateful. And maybe those words describe you right now. Tired and emotionally exhausted. And you are looking forward to a day when you will feel relief and gratitude. And I wish I could tell you if and when that's gonna happen. But what I can tell you is what Zechariah showed us today. Keep praying, even if it means you're questioning God. It's gonna build your hope because it's acknowledging that God is the only one worthy of our prayers and it acknowledges that he is still my God. Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of my confusion, my anger, my sadness, you are still my God. And then plant in yourself, grow it, nurture it, the truth that God's ways and timing are perfect. They are. Because we may not have the answers now, but a day is coming, either in this life or the life to come, when we will have the answers that we are looking for. And that kind of hope is only found in Jesus. And hope is part of the Advent story. It's part of the Christmas story. That Jesus led us out of hopelessness and into a rock-solid foundation of hope in him. Now, as we come to a close today, um, again, like I said, we wanna leverage this time that we are together at home. And so we want you to lean into this Advent experience. And the best way you can do that is both on our Hosanna app and on our website, we've created a guide that will walk you through this entire experience throughout this series. And so do that. But, but here's what I would ask you to do this week. As an individual, as a family, light a candle and intentionally pray a prayer of hope. That hope might be for yourself, what's going on in your life. But please make sure that you pray for someone else. Who is in your circle? Who is in your sphere that may be in desperate need of hope right now? Pray that Jesus would bring that into their life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just begin by thanking and praising you that you are the God of hope. Hope that can only be found in you 
that you answer and hear every prayer that we offer up. And so Lord, help us put our roots down deeply into you and lean into this Advent experience that we bring hope and joy and faith and peace, more of that into this season. And we do that by leaning into you. So thank you for who you are and how you work in our life. And we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as always, thank you for being with us today and uh, for you watching at home. We normally put up a, a slide at the end and we're gonna do that again. And typically there's questions there, but through this Advent series, it's going to be ways that you can lean into the experience. So again, pause the, the message, pause the, the stream or take a picture of the screen so that you and your family can lean into this time and make it even more rich than it already is. So as we come to a close, please leave with this ancient blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lavish you with his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Blessings, we'll see you next week.